whether it's the legendary lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay. And so are we. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Hot Tottenham sponsored by NordVPN. Now we've got a rather eventful game to talk about following Tottenham's 4-1 defeat against Chelsea at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Monday evening. This week I'm joined by Alistair Gold and the returning Lee Wilmot to discuss that heavy defeat for Ange Postacoglu's team. How are you both? I think I'm still recovering. It, just, it was just absolute chaos. I think that's why we need three people to dissect it today because there is so much to dive into. I mean, I mean, it played almost 111, 112 minutes as it was, let alone the 90. Um, it was just carnage. And it's not even about just the day. There's so much like fallout from the game that we've got to discuss as well for the weeks and maybe months ahead. But yeah, looking forward to kind of, uh, it might be cathartic, I think, to delve into it. Lee, how are you? I didn't. <clears throat> I didn't think you. Uh, yeah, I'm all right. I didn't think you had enough to talk about, so I thought I'd come on and and, and help out. You know, um, it was um, there was nothing going on yesterday, was there? So I thought I'd come and offer my um, expertise uh, on the matter, on chaos, and um, yeah, just get involved. <laughs> yeah, the, on the chaos. Yeah. Right. Before we jump into today's show, I want to share with you a brand new publication from Reach PLC celebrating and covering everything that is women's football. It's a monthly magazine of wall-to-wall women's football, including our very own Tottenham women's team, of course. If you want to know more or grab a copy, head over to the episode description box and order yours today. So then at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium last night, it all started so well for Spurs, uh, going ahead after six minutes through Dane Kulosevsky. Then everything after that just seemed to go <laughs> completely wrong. Uh, Chelsea equalised through a Cole Palmer penalty uh, about 10 minutes before the break. That had came seconds after Christian Romero had been sent off for a wild lunge on Enzo Fernandez. Nicholas Jackson got a hat-trick in the second half and... Spurs were down to nine men with Destiny Doggy also receiving his marching orders for two bookable offences. I mean, it finished 4-1 to Chelsea, but the scoreline just doesn't tell the full story of the game. Uh, if anything, I think the scoreline flatters Chelsea and they'd probably say Spurs maybe come out of the game with even more credit than, you know, uh, Chelsea because for long periods, it didn't look like they were going to get that second goal. Uh, it was oh, honestly, if, if you just want to, maybe better than the scoreline, maybe this kind of sums up the game itself. Two red cards, two key injuries, five goals, five disallowed goals, nine VAR checks in the first half alone. <laughs> and like I say, 111, 112 minutes of action as well. Just general mayhem. And a game that ended 4 uh, 1 against the home side, yet the pretty much near the entire stadium applauded the team off the pitch. Is that, what is this? What kind of game of football was that? Was it even football? I mean, Ange afterwards in the press conference, I think he's uh, he's now gone so far away from anything VAR kind of support. I think he's just given up on the whole system. Um, and yeah, I think that just gives you a little idea of what just crazy game that was. I mean, can you imagine 
last season, Spurs going off at home, having lost 4-0. It would have been horrendous. It would have been not only booze, people would be probably throwing seats onto the pitch. It was just such an awful atmosphere last season. Whereas this time, they're, they're not only kind of applauding them off, but they're singing, you know, when the Spurs, it's probably one of the loudest renditions I've heard of that. And bearing in mind, it was, well, in Pochettino's words, what is it, about 1am now <laughs> with all the added time when we're doing this? Um, yeah, incredible game. Um, and do you know what? I know... Postacoglu's getting some criticism for the way he set up the team with nine men. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I've got to admit it. I, I just thought it was innovative. It gave Spurs the best chance of actually getting something from a game where I think had they just sat back, they would have crumbled anyway. Um, and this way, yeah, I kind of, I know you can't really ignore them, but I almost want to ignore the last two Jackson goals in like the last two, three minutes because they were purely counter goals kind of thing in, in against tired players but my goodness Spurs put one or two of those three big chances they created away and I think they might not have even just got a point the way Chelsea I thought Chelsea were horrendous I'd actually go as far as I thought they were really bad Spurs might have actually come away with all three points and you know Charlie from the Athletic next to me was saying at one point if Spurs get something from this this is one of the greatest performances you've probably ever seen in a Premier League game with nine men um, just absolute chaos. I mean, what did it look like for, for you, Lee, from from your position? Um, yeah, I think you've already brought it up there. The, the atmosphere inside the stadium sounded in, just incredible, um, almost through, throughout, really. Um, I think there, there was maybe a, a little period in the second half where it went a little bit quiet, but um, or maybe in the first half, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, the atmosphere was, was incredible. The, the fans were really behind the team. Um, and it was just... And a completely ridiculous game of football. I, I, I've, I've never, I've never seen anything like it. Never seen anything like it. Um, and and you're right. I I um I tweeted last night um, that I'd, I'd said to my sons as the game went into injury time that the the match had been so ridiculous. I felt like there was something ridiculous still to come that, that Spurs would get an equaliser and, and the nine men would somehow manage to get something out of it. And I think the, but, uh, apart from the fingertips of Robert Sanchez, we, we almost had that with um, with Hyungman Son's um, effort l- late on in the game. But you're right, with creator chances. The nine men f- seem to fashion chances. And I, I think... The way Ange set up with nine men um, and just in terms of, I'm not going to change my philosophy. We're just going to carry on doing what we're doing. I think it threw Chelsea a little bit. I don't, I don't they think they so knew. Space to operate in. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they knew what to do. There's so many occasions where they were just trying to find that ball immediately in behind the, the back line and Sterling was offside or Palmer was offside or Mudrick was offside. Um, it wasn't until 70 minutes or so um, that they then started to to kind of spread the play a little bit, pass the ball around um, and try and move the Spurs players around. And I, I was sat there and I thought, why have you not been doing this for the entire second half? That's the way to get through Spurs. You, you pick your moments. Um, and then they found those runners from deep, Kukurea from deep, um, and they managed to find that second goal. But you're right, it, it, it still seemed like we could, Spurs could get something out of it ridiculously. Um, when, when when it went into the last four or five minutes, Chelsea then sat off, didn't press anymore because they're like, oh, it's 2-1 now. We've only got a few minutes to go. Um, and then Spurs had those few chances. It's just absolutely mental. Absolutely mental. I think you just always felt that if 
they'd get like a free kick in a promising position that they could potentially take the opportunity. I mean, Eric died. And do you know what? It's felt like every yeah, free yeah. kick was yeah, creating yeah. opportunities. Just thought, delivery was excellent every yeah, time. And you just thought it was one of those where the ball was just destined to go in the net, given the way, you know, Spurs had played in the second half because I thought they were brilliant. Uh, very cavalier approach playing that high line. And, you know, Chelsea did get beyond them a number of times. And if it weren't for the heroics of Guglielmo Vicario, it'd have been more than 4-1. But defensively, given they had such a makeshift back four in place, uh, Emerson, who was starting at centre-back uh, initially after Romero had come off, then shifting across the left-back, Pierre Milhoibieg dropping in the centre-back, Eric Dyer playing his first minutes of the season. They were fantastic, just a number of blocks, interceptions. I mean, I don't know how Hoybier cleared that one over his own crossbar when he was practically on his own line, and the celebration said it all. It was wasn't it? Yeah, it was <laughs> fantastic. And like I was saying... That celebration yeah, yeah. was one of my favourite moments of the season yeah, so far, definitely. I think. <laughs> like I was saying, if you just get a free kick in a good position, you know if you've got someone with quality over the ball who can swing in a dangerous cross, then you've always got a chance. And I think Eric Dyer's goal just summed up how badly Chelsea had played at times because this was Chelsea with two men more and Eric Dyer's completely free at the back post. And It what, shouldn't even be possible, I know, should it? No, it shouldn't. I mean, terrific finish from him. Absolutely fantastic. And you're just thinking possible like redemption story for Eric Dyer because you know he'd look like maybe one of these plays on his way out and that may well happen in the summer due to his contract status and then you had the moment when Rodrigo Bentecourt went with his head instead of his foot and you're thinking on his homecoming at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium after nine months out it'd be the perfect finale and Son as well, having the energy you know to run at the Chelsea backline in those final few minutes and carve out that opportunity. I thought that was similar to Lucas Mora against Ajax, similar position across the keep and, you know, another inch on it across. I think that had nestled into the bottom corner, but 4-1 to Chelsea, scoreline just doesn't tell the full story of the game and I think I can only give credit to Spurs and how they defended in that second half so far to Amanda were fantastic. Do you know what? Looking at that replay as well from that sun chance, um, Sanchez's front hand gets fingertips to it. It's, it's his backhand that actually kind of saves it. I think it's gone through his his first hand yeah. because he's got a second hand just behind. He's actually managed to save that. I think if he hadn't got the second hand in there, that was that was going in the corner. Yeah, it was, it was just crazy. Yeah, it was. Shall we talk about Tottenham's start to the game? Because obviously, that so much happened after that. But Spurs really did catch the eye in the opening, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And on another day, if Son was, you know, a couple of millimetres behind uh, the Chelsea player, it's 2-0 Tottenham. Could have maybe gone on and won that 3 or 4-0 quite easy. Yeah, it was... <sighs> That's what maybe makes the kind of rushes of blood to the head for Romero yeah. and Udogi all the more frustrating is the game was... Be- became something entirely different to how it was um, kind of flowing and it's Spurs were kind of knew how to get at Chelsea I thought Brennan Johnson started really well was really kind of stretching them out wide Doggy was coming infield as like a number 10 in the inverted role they were just getting at them they were finding little spaces and, and obviously the first goal was was deflected but still you know great for 
Kulusevsky, um, and he explained his goal celebration, didn't he, to you after? Yeah. What was that all about? I asked him about that because I think you'd mentioned it at the time when we saw it on the screen. What he did, it was uh, both hands either side of his eyes and we thought it was something like tunnel vision maybe. And Mm -hmm. that's pretty much exactly what it was. You know, just focus on yourself, on your team, do what the manager says. That was pretty much it. And uh, in the previous home game against Fulham, I think Spurs were certainly guilty of overplaying at times, trying to score that perfect goal. And, Kulosevsky had opportunities on goal when he should have got a shot off and it was nice to see him first chance on goal, get a shot away and you never know what's going to happen. You know, he got a deflection and went in and this is what you want to see from Spurs. So it was really, really nice to see him on the score sheet. It's a very particular goal celebration, isn't it? It's very kind yeah. of like private in-joke kind of thing, but I guess most of them really are. Um, yeah, and then obviously, like you say, you had Johnson sweeping down the sideline, knocking it into Sonny. And yeah, that was oh, fractionally offside. And you do wonder kind of where the game would have gone in that moment had that been different. Um, but then came Romero charging in like, oh, I mean, oh, honestly, I don't think I've been as disappointed with a Spurs player as I was for a long time as I was last night in Romero. It was essentially everything good that he's done recently and been a leader and just been so disciplined and, you know, barely committing fouls, let alone stupid stuff. It was just like he allowed himself to get sucked into his old ways. Um, He was almost kind of too hyped up from the beginning. You can kind of see that. He was just a little bit over the top in everything he was doing, even in the early stages. And then, yeah, I mean, I don't know what you guys think. Should have had a red for me with the first effort. Uh, effort the effort to swipe at uh, Colwell um that one it's uh, I've kind of in my talking points today I always liken Romero when he's in that kind of mood to like that kid in the playground who likes to kick people as well as get the ball you know that one who you always kind of like oh I really don't want him to like even if I knock him over in the playground he's going to try and come back and kick me in the shins or something just because he's that kind of guy and that's kind of Romero for me every time I think I always say this to you Guesty in the in the box um, in the press box every time Romero gets knocked off the ball he comes back for revenge every time it's almost like he feels he has to it's like don't you dare embarrass me kind of thing and he was he made that run down the right hand side didn't he and then he was knocked over or he was dispossessed or something and he just saw him on the floor and I think I'd turned to you and just said like, oh he's done something he's done something over there I can see it instantly um, and then it was that case of what's going to happen next but obviously weirdly Chelsea in one of the f- many times they put the ball in the net and it wasn't a goal um, yeah they look back and I mean I don't know about you Lee but how was that not read <laughs> just the first time I've, I've no idea I've no idea I've, I've, I thought it was a red straight away um, and the um, the the reasoning that Sky gave that obviously came from um, the VAR was that it was petulance rather than um, foul play, essentially. And then I'm having to try and explain to my sons what the word petulance means, can, um, which didn't go particularly so you can well, I don't kick think. Someone, <laughs> you can kick someone off the ball as long as it's just petulant. If you scream, so do you yeah, actually have exactly. to scream petulance as you kick them? <laughs> I'd like to think Romero did that, but um, there we go. I, do, do you know what? I thought we were absolutely sensational in that first 15 minutes and how I say we lost our heads. It wasn't just Romero. Um, 
the doggy two-footed challenge I thought was a red card as well. Um, he shouldn't, and I can forgive him because he's what twenty years old. Um, I, I kind of forgive him the the red card in the second half and and that yellow. He's he's hyped up for a big game. Um, but again, I don't I don't know where that hype would have come. Ange Postecoglou certainly wouldn't have hyped it up like that. It doesn't seem like that kind of manager that would go for the big hype. This is a massive game. This is the old boss coming back. Uh, we need to win this. He's not that type of person. So I don't know where that hype has come from. And after you've had such a good start to the season and you start in that big game in the way we started on the front foot and looking as good as we've looked all season, I just don't know how it just went wrong. I don't know how, what happened. I don't know. I, yeah, completely lost our heads. How many um, times has that happened doggy should in have gone. these kind of bigger games? That's the sad thing. Is for everything Postecoglou's changed, yeah. that's actually quite a recurring theme with Spurs, sadly. Yeah, yeah, it's and yeah, you've you've said it there, Ali, about Romero, and he has really thrived off being a leader in this team this season. He's been completely away from what he used to be at Tottenham. This rash centre back that there's clearly a brilliant defender in there. You don't you don't start in the World Cup winning team if you're not a good defender. But there was always that oh, there's always that moment in him, and it looked like Postecoglou had got rid of it this season, and it was just back in spades last night unfortunately um when he's won when, when you have got a young team at your disposal he's one that you you want to look to and think right come on lead, lead us now and yeah just let everyone down yeah. last night nominate for player of the month isn't it just literally yeah it's, it's immaturity that's what it is and unfortunately that's the last thing they need he's supposed to be the experienced one i know he's only 25 but he's still supposed to be the leader back there yeah so disappointing that was on his international teammate as well, wasn't it? Enzo in the box. Yeah, he, I thought that. He, he don't care. He does who that it to is. players in training. He does it to Spurs yeah. players all the time. Honestly, they have to wear shin pads. Did you see even in the training video this week? He launched into one on Eric Dyer. <laughs> I saw yeah, that there. And the irony is, if he put Eric Dyer out, there'd be no defenders right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just excessive force. It's one of these where he's got a touch on the ball, but just because he's gone in so hard that on the follow-through, he's, he's caught him. And it was a real, real nasty one in regards to the first... His leg. Yeah, in regards to the first one, he has a swipe at him. Uh, letter of the law probably should have been, but he could have kicked him harder, couldn't he? He wouldn't want to be... <laughs> but do you know what? Are that, you suggesting he should that, have? That or? petulance. No, but he, he wasn't like... <laughs> no, he's they, like proper gone in and kicked him. It's just like a little swipe at the end of the day. Yeah, but it's still intent, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They've got a rod for yeah. their own back now, though, haven't they? If they, they've used that petulance remark, as like anyone, anyone else that happens to do that. Oh, I was only being petulant. Yeah. I didn't mean it's it. Mad. I've, just, I've never heard of that using excuse before. <laughs> it's like, what's the difference? I don't get it. But with the the doggy one, the first one jumping into feet, you, you just can't do it. So, I mean, looking at the replay and looking at full speed uh, during the game, it looked like he, he took the ball, but it's just the way he jumps in and with both feet up. And, yeah, you can get a red card for that. So both Romero and Doggy extremely uh, lucky to still be on the pitch, you know, before they did eventually uh, get dismissed. Do you know what makes that even more ridiculous? It's like, why did both players not think like, whoo, second chance here. Let's sort ourselves <laughs> out. Why did they both then go and get themselves sent off? That's the crazy thing about it. It's like, 
you should use that as your kind of momentum to, oh, I've got to sort myself out there. That, that, that was lucky. But no, <laughs> I mean, especially Romero. I mean, you know, a doggies, I think, for me, he'd made a terrific interception in his own box. And I think the adrenaline was flowing yeah. and he ran across and it was just a, a kind of a, a young player's naive mistake of a, an attacker going away from goal. It didn't need to happen. But Romero's was just like, I'm going to clean you out and the ball, mate. That's essentially all it was. And he could have broken his leg. And it's that's it was, again, I'm going to use it. I know it's, you know, it's having a bit of a pop at him, but it was, it was immature. It was a moment when the team needed him to be a mature leader. Um, and he just threw it all away, just almost to, just to show that he could smash the ball and the player all at the same time. I don't know. I might be doing him a disservice. Maybe he meant to just get the ball and his international teammate happened to be right behind that ball, but I don't know. It's just, he's out for a month now as well because the international break, he doesn't come back till, I think it's the 7th of December. It's just ridiculous. And especially that Man City game, that's the game you really needed him in and he's not there. I'm just going to say that most importantly, he's going to be missing for that for that Man City game. Um, looking forward to um, your ooh noise being clipped up on social media later in the week, by the way. Um, was there an ooh? I don't even remember doing that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can I just, uh, we've spoken about those two red cards. Um, what did you guys think of the Reese James um, situation? Because when I saw that on, on TV, I, I thought that was a red card. Um, it, the kind of arm in the face. Um, but I, I get that what's been said is not excessive force behind it that um that maybe is why it wasn't given but i don't know i, d- I just don't think you can you can do that yeah, when you're going uh, up really not for me no no, no even looking at VAR, so. i didn't think there was enough force in it he, he catches him but no that's not a red card for me just going back to a doggy's second yellow having watched it back earlier i think sterling gets so so lucky there because that point, Chelsea had a counter. I think it was three on two, still in through the middle. He had Nicholas Jackson to the left of him in acres of space. Didn't pick that one yeah. out, went to the right. Eventually, obviously, a doggy got the ball. It came back, and as you said, uh, it was just the adrenaline just jumping in for it. Uh, maybe you know a more experienced head wouldn't have done that because Sterling was going away uh, from goal, but yeah, I just thought Sterling got a bit lucky there. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was going back very quickly. To, we're bouncing about all over the place, aren't we? Reese James moment. I think <laughs> for me, I can see how it looks from certain angles, but I do also think it was part of the more natural motion of jumping than a really "I'm going to clatter you, mate" kind of moment. Um, so yeah, I. I, I thought some of the, if anything, maybe the referee let too many early challenges go. There was a few Chelsea ones early on. I think that maybe created the environment for what followed, but that doesn't excuse what Romero and, and Udogi did as well, especially with that first challenge. So, yeah, yeah. Now, now, now we kind of have the fallout and the the carnage from that in the weeks ahead. And uh, yeah, well, we're going to discuss that exactly what happens next because. Yeah, good luck to Postacoglu kind of fashioning a, a defence out of what's left, really. Yeah, I mean, Romero banned for three games. That's Wolves, Aston Villa, what's a big, big game as well. So they're going great guns this season. And then Man City, uh, a doggy will just miss the one game uh, for two yellow cards. But then 
adding Mickey van der Ven's injury, James Madison as well going off with an issue. I mean, that van der Ven one looks a serious problem. Postacoglu said in his post-match press conference looks a significant one because, I mean, he was running back uh, full speed and then he pulled up and just seen the pictures of, you know, the pain in his face is... Uh, I think he knows it's a serious one and, you know, fingers crossed he won't be out that long, but it doesn't look great. No, it really doesn't. When we watched him kind of, he was like walking around the pitch and he couldn't really walk. And we both of us were going like, why are they not helping him? Eventually someone came over and they kind of put their arms around him to try and, I don't know, that's a player that probably needs to go off on a stretcher, to be honest. I don't think any good even doing it the way they did it. Um, you know what? I'm going to put this to both of you. I'll put it to Lee first. Are we at a stage now where VAR is taking so long over decisions that it's actually creating these periods of times when the players are cooling down and they're standing around? And is that going to start contributing to injuries like that, especially hamstring injuries, if not long after he's suddenly having a sprint at full pelt? Potentially, yeah. There, there was a moment before that. Well, I can't remember the exact moment, but there was one that I'm watching on TV and I can clearly see, I think it was Sterling, can clearly see that he's offside. And the directive is that they're being told to wait um, to see it through because obviously if a goal's scored, you can't you can't take back a, a non-goal essentially if a goal's not scored. So they want them to see if they score a goal before they then take the offside back. But it's supposed to be that if it's clear... They, they they flag and there were yeah there was one that was so clear and Van de Ven I think got really annoyed um, and I think he turned around to the linesman and was like this, why why have you taken so long to do that and then a few minutes later obviously um, he's he's pulled up with a hamstring um, it, it yeah very very well could be they're 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 well oiled machines footballers these days aren't they they um, you take care of themselves um, so well um, and they're kind of they're 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 made to work for 90 minutes um, or 100 minutes or 112 as it was um, yesterday. Um, they're, they're, they're made to be at their peak of their powers for that amount of time once a week or twice a week. Um, and yeah, if you're, you're stopping the game all the time and your your muscles are getting, um, you're getting um, cooling down and you have to start again. Yeah, I don't, potentially I, I, you can see that. Um, and it's just a real... It's a real shame for Mickey van der Ven, given the start of the season that he's had, that he could now face... I don't want to put a time on it, really. Um, it could be a few months that he, he, come, he is yes, out. Do really. you think they should exercise bikes at the side of the pitch for every VAR decision? <laughs> well, they might as well <laughs> if they're taking about five or ten minutes, as they have been recently. Because, I mean, even that one in the second half when Eric Dyer scored, just looking at it, it looks offside straight away. But even then, they were taking a good couple of minutes... On it, uh, I don't know if there's been any other examples where there have been long VAR checks and then the player, you know, pulling up with an issue straight after. It's just a really, really unfortunate one for Van der Ven. He's, he's been so, so good for Spurs over the course of the season. And I think the main worry in terms of the centre-backs, because they're extremely like that, there was going to be a point in the season where the decision to let Davinson Sanchez go after the Premier League window had closed for business so they couldn't bring in a replacement, that was always going to come back and bite him at some point. And you're thinking maybe it's just going to be an injury or a suspension. I don't think anyone could have written it was going to be, you know, Romero, red card and a Van der Ven, what could be a long-term injury. So this is... I suppose. It could have yeah, been... I know. I, know. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you could write that Romero was going to get a red well, card or something. Together, you always thought it'd probably just be one. 
in one game, not both, in 45 minutes as well. It's, it's crazy, <laughs> wasn't it? Really, really was. It's just, it's just mad. And my worry now for Van de Ven is, we spoke about this yesterday at the stadium, he's a pacey, fast player and the hamstrings are so iffy if you're a fast player if you have one injury and the problem was he did he had um early last year he had a hamstring injury he was out for two and a half months and he missed 12 matches so this is now his second one a year later or just over about a year and a half later um and this one look this gave me vibes of uh toby alderweireld against real madrid when he went down uh the side of the pitch um and ironically big dav kind of <laughs> was the one that kind of filled the gap um, and he's playing in Turkey now. Um, so I just worry that when he does come back, is this going to become a little bit of a fear for him that he's not going to be able to fully sprint at his top speed, which we know is such an important kind of weapon in his armory as well. And he'll only have to look across the physio room at someone like Ryan Sessegnon and see a player that's absolutely had his career pulled apart really by hamstring problems, who was obviously as a youngster, was one of the speedsters down the wing um, for Fulham and then meant to be for Spurs. So that's my fear for Van der Ven. It really is. I hope it's nothing. I hope it's one of those where it's a player who's had a bad reaction on the pitch, but then afterwards maybe isn't quite as bad as, as it first appeared. I'd love that to be the case. But, you know, we've seen it. Spurs. not only out of Eld, Harry Kane had a bad one, didn't he? He was out for quite a while with that. But obviously he doesn't rely on his pace. Um. Yeah, it, it's a huge two two and a half months as well. If it's two and a half months, that takes us to what the end end of yeah. January, when there's no there's no Basuma, there's no Saar, there's no Sun. If there's no Van der Ven as well, exactly. January transfer window needs to actually uh, be one of yes. real action, doesn't it? It's uh, and this was a ridiculous thing about it. We spoke about this so much at the time. Was Postecoglou wanted a second senior centre back to come in in the window? You know, he actually said it clearly. He said it to me twice, once in Barcelona, once in a press conference. And yet they ended up not only only bringing in Van der Ven, and obviously you've got Ashley Phillips, and we'll, we'll still remains to be seen whether he can step up to be a senior player. But then to let Davinson Sanchez go after the window closed, it's that's purely a case of, oh my goodness, we're going to get some money for this player who'll be out of contract. Let's take it. And it's just, I mean, look, Hopefully, Ashley Phillips becomes an absolute star, you know, and he comes in, fills the gap, is absolutely perfect for it. But right now, that is looking at like one of the most stupid decisions Spurs have made in terms of outgoing transfers in recent years. It's, uh, it just seems too early. Just, just, it made no sense at that point, especially after the window had closed. Yeah. It's suddenly a lot of pressure on it a really teenager, is. isn't it? Yeah, Ashley absolutely. Phillips. There was obviously James Madison as well. That injury, that looked a bit innocuous, that really. So he just seemed to go down on his own in uh, the Chelsea box. And a couple Two of minutes later... Two non-contact injuries, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, that was it. It was, it was replaced. And he's another player you don't want to be missing, just given how influential he has been for Spurs over the course of the season. Uh, I think, again, with Van der Ven, you just got... So have your fingers crossed and hope they're back on the pitch sooner rather than later. But I think it's one of those where, you know, the Spurs medical team will assess both players uh, this week. And hopefully uh, by the time Ange Postacoglu speaks to the media on Friday, there'll be some positive news. But I think that at the moment it's just the waiting game of the two of them. Two huge players to go, isn't it? I mean, 
with Madison, he has been struggling with his ankle. I don't think he's been training too much recently because of it. Um, but to go down with no contact, that's quite, yeah, worrying. And I guess it's one of those, whether it just needs a little bit of a rest um, or whether it needs some kind of surgery. Hopefully it's not the latter. Um, but yeah, I was trying to think in my talking points earlier, like the players that could replace Madison if need be. And I do wonder whether it's Rodrigo Bentenker. I know we've all been kind of looking for Lacelso to actually be that person, but I wonder now at this stage whether Bentenker as, as, as a way to get him back into the team and being a bit of a game changer we knew he was last season in attacking positions, maybe it ends up being him. Yeah. It could be. It, it might just come a bit early. Maybe. Um, you, you would probably like to think that one more game and then the international break and Bentoncourt might be ready to, to start games after that. Um, so if Madison's not available this Saturday, is Bentoncourt ready to start a game in that position? Maybe. Well, he played 39 minutes. So maybe you can get an hour from the start. We'll, have to, we'll see, really. I'd, I'd like to think Lacelso had replaced Madison if... Madison's out injured because that is really his natural position. But I can understand why he'd want to put Benton Kerr there because he was influential for Tottenham in the final third last season, chipped in with some, you know, really important goals at times, notably yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and he's got a decent amount of minutes under his belt, but given how serious the injury was, is it a case of just still trying to ease him in for the time being rather than rush him into the 11? But like you say, maybe he could manage an hour, but I think if I was LaCelso, yeah, I think... It's you'd... harsh, isn't it? It yeah. is harsh, isn't it? <laughs> it is, because, I mean, we've barely seen him this season. Yeah. It, it's just been so, so unlucky once again through the injuries and then also the form of James Madison because LaCelso was probably one of Tottenham's best players in pre-season. Undoubtedly, where even when he was yeah. coming on in the second half of games, he was influential uh, for them. Got a couple of goals as well, uh, but it's just not happened for him in the Premier League so far this season. I think that's just been the story of his time at the club, unfortunately, since he joined four years ago from Real Betis. Uh, but if Madison's out, then it gives either Lacelso or Benzema an opportunity to make the case to Postecoglou that they should be starting. Yeah, I think the more I think about it, the more harsh I feel it is on Lacelso. <laughs> it's like, because Bentancur is just such a big player for Spurs and I think you would probably look to find a way to get him back in the team. But for Lacelso, having kind of convinced him that he's part of your plans in the summer and probably made it clear, look, you know, Madison's the man, but you're going to get chances because he's going to need to come off and to have barely played any minutes thus far it probably wouldn't be the greatest look. But then, I don't know, it's Postacoglu. Does he worry about that sort of thing? I don't know. Maybe he just does what he thinks is best for the team rather than best for a certain player. But, uh, yeah, be interested to know what people think. If you're watching this on YouTube, let us know in the comments below. I'd be intrigued to see kind of what the feeling is, is whether you feel it's Lacelso's time or whether Ben took... I mean, hey, let's hope Madison's absolutely fine and, and we see him kind of rolled out again next weekend. Um, but at some point, he's going to need a rest. <laughs> I, I almost kind of hope he's not called up for England just to give him some time off or Spurs actually do the big club thing and say, no, he's not coming this time, which they very rarely do for some reason. Yeah, I, th I think what Ange needs to do is just best for the team. There's no room for sentiment. You just put your best 11 out and if he thinks... It's Benson Kerr over Lacelso, then 
he, he goes with it, but we'll find out on Saturday at Molyneux if James Madison, of course, isn't in the starting 11. Right, as we're now halfway through the pod, Ali, do you want to tell everyone about the benefits of using NordVPN? Yeah, of course, if you're not aware by now, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world and that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favourite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling, which is something I've done many, many, many times over the years, long before they came on board as podcast sponsors, being able to watch shows, sports, movies, whatever, wherever I happen to be in the world and just making my device think it's back in the UK. And it's also good for security reasons if you're using public Wi-Fi just to stop those nasty people trying to get into your devices and taking your vital details off of it. And not only that, but the outlay on the NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. That's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So, for example, you might be able to book a flight as if you're in another country. So that could be cheaper, too. So it means you're paying out for Nord, but you're actually saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Let's talk about the substitutions Ange Postacoglu made because I think Eric Dyer and Emerson Royale had a big impact on the game, especially defensively and deserve praise. But first of all, I think we should go back to Brennan Johnson because he was, you know, the fall guy uh, following Christian Romero's red card. And on his second start for Tottenham, what appears to be, you'd think, Ange Postacoglu's first choice front three, he was really, really impressive. Had the run of the left-hand side, teed Son up for that disallowed goal. Look to be right on this game, having a big impact uh, going forward. And I think he was just desperately unlucky, really, to make way. And I know we were discussing before we came on to record the pod, you were saying maybe he, he could have stayed on and maybe Kuliseski could have been the one to make way instead. Yeah, I just wondered, look, not to question how it went because Spurs did fashion their chances and they had their big moments. But I just wondered with, with Johnson's pace, whether he would have stretched Chelsea a little bit. But um, I guess, yeah, you, it's probably between him and Kulusevski. And Kulusevski is probably the stronger one maybe that could get involved in the defensive work or you could use as a target man to hold up the ball a little bit more if you wanted Sonny to come out left. So I did understand it. It was just disappointing because he, I thought he'd started so well again. Um, and at least he's fresh for Saturday. <laughs> That's the only thing we can, we're going to try and grab any positives that we can from it. Um, I'm still really excited by what Brendan Johnson's going to do. Um, every time I see him, he shows me exactly what I think he's going to bring to Spurs about the pace and, and the exciting direct play. Reese James was really worried by him throughout. Every time he went at him, he didn't know entirely what he was going to do. Um, he seems to be forming a little partnership with Sonny as well, which is a big thing too. He knows where Sonny's going to run. He knows that little cutback to him as well. Um, and I actually thought, again, Sonny's finish. I know he was slightly offside, but it was another example of how good Sonny is at his first time finishes from the passes. And that's why I've said it before, this system of Postacoglu's low crosses into the central forward, it's just made for Sonny. He's so good at those little finishes, acute kind of flicks. Um, but yeah, really disappointing for Brennan Johnson. But 
I think he's going to now be a regular starter week in, week out. I've just got this feeling now under Postacoglu. He's the one in the dressing room that could have real have, a, have a real opportunities to have a go at Christian Romero um, for the fact that he had to come off because of it. Given his age and his stature in the side, he's obviously saying, not going to do that to Christian Romero. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stop that petulant. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah. No, carry on oh, with yeah, the petulance. Yeah. Don't Only petulance, have a serious yeah. foul play. <laughs> um, yeah, he. Was, I thought he was brilliant. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's, it's 50-50, isn't it? You, you take off um, Brendan Johnson, you lose his pace. But if you take off Kudasevsky, you lose someone who's got that upper body strength and can hold the ball up when you when you want to kind of turn a team um, and just keep hold of the ball with with nine men um so yeah like, like you Ali I'm not I'm not going to question Ange's um tactics and and his decisions but it, it could have been it could have gone a, a different way if you kept him on just playing the ball out to him and just stretching the Chelsea defense defense, defense effectively Kulisevsky did play well uh works extremely hard held it up he well. did yeah yeah. deservedly got a goal for his performance. It's, it's just one of these, isn't it? Like you said, it's it's 50-50 and you know, Brendan Johnson will be counting down the minutes now till uh, Saturday's game at Molyneux and you'd imagine he would, he will start and chance for him to make a big, big impact. But it's just been such a stop-start, you know, beginning to his Tottenham career. I've said that on the past few pods, it's just signed, it was the international break an injury international break. He's just not got going, but hopefully from Wolves onwards, it will. But the worst thing is, after Wolves, we've got another two weeks with no game. Because it's the third international break of the season. But he will get some minutes, which might yeah. be good for him, yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right then, two of the players who came on, Eric Dyer, Emerson Royale, I think both of these just deserve so much praise. And I think the the uh, deserved applaudits that are coming the way. Eric Dyer on his first Tottenham appearance of the season. You think he's got to be really rusty here and, you know, chipped in with some, you know, brilliant interceptions, tackles, recoveries. He was the senior man in the back line. He was marshalling them well as well. I think there was one point where he was, you know, discussing to Pierre Milhoiberg, you know, when to move up, when to not keep your shape, etc. And, just so so unlucky to be just you know marginally offside because that was some finish from him. That was a really really good finish. And then Emerson Royale uh, past few games when he's come on against Fulham against Crystal Palace, he's more than chipped in defensively. Some really good blocks, and he did that as soon as he came uh, onto the pitch in the first half, and then in the second half as well, performed well at centre back and at left back. And you're thinking, no destiny, your doggy. On Saturday at Wolves, is it Emerson's spot at left back, or does he maybe start at centre back? I think he has to play left back. I think. Yeah. I think if you, I know I'm about to say it doesn't really make much sense, uh, but I think you kind of have to get as natural a fit for each position. And yes, I know Emerson is not a left-sided uh, fullback, but he can play there. And I feel in the centre back role, you're probably going to have to go for a more natural centre back, like Ashley Phillips. Um, but no, both of them, all of them came on and did so well. Every every sub that came on played a part and made an impact. Eric Dyer, look, I know he's the the whipping boy for a lot of fans, but to have come on, play 78 minutes without having played a single minute this season, I thought he was excellent. I thought he was that good. I thought he came on, had a couple of interceptions and blocks that immediately boosted his confidence. 
Um, and then, yeah, I saw him, like you, kind of telling Hoybier where to stand. He was actually pointing at a line on the pitch at one point, saying that's where we all go in our line. I think he was helped by the fact that the high line, which doesn't suit him, he did have Vicario, who's essentially like Usain Bolt um, <laughs> at times. Just the way he was like flying out and sliding out for sliding tackles. You know, he was essentially playing like, I don't know about sweeper keeper. He was almost like one of the midfielders. He was so high up the pitch at times. And that helped Dyer because obviously we know he's not going to be able to fly back and, and make the challenges in the way Van der Ven would. But I did think he did very well. Um, and that was, for me, that was kind of huge for him as well because he has become the forgotten man. He has become the player that we all kind of just expect now to head towards the end of his contract and leave the club. But it just shows that, you know, called upon, he's still going to throw everything he's got at the ball. And and I felt that about all the players. These were some of the players that maybe fringe players. There was no sulking. There was no like, oh, well, you've got yourselves into this mess. They absolutely all threw them. It was like Skippy came on as well. Skippy came on and was throwing. It was a, made a really good interception in the box at one point. And then it was his lovely quick pass to Son that created that big chance for Son at the end. Um, I thought Benton Kerr again showed far sharper kind of uh, performance than I would expect from someone that's been out for eight months. Um, Hoybier was superb as a centre-back. I thought he slotted in really well. You know, it's not his natural position, but like you say, that terrific block he made and there was a few moments where he really kind of threw himself around. Um, and yeah, Emerson, very good again. Um, I still have my my doubts in terms of an attacking point of view if he's playing the fullback role and, and being the number 10 but you know needs must and, and I'm sure he'll do a good defensive job but then I guess you've got Brennan Johnson that can play ahead of him on that left and, and provide the attacking thrust maybe but no all of them did very well and I also think a massive shout out for a player who started the game the only defensive player who started the game and ended it Pedro Porro after that first little mistake he made um, when he kind of he, he missed, kind of judged a pass and he hit it. And I think Jackson went through and uh, Vicario saved really well and bailed him out. I thought Porro was magnificent. Not only just at the back where he made, I might even have his stats here. Um, yeah, I've got four tackles, three clearances and blocked one shot. But he also got the other end of the pitch, made six uh, crosses, three of them successful and one key pass. And I think both of the free kicks came from him that Dyron Bentecourt had the chances from. I thought he was excellent. And he was pressing like a madman. There were times when I'd, I'd look mm -hmm. and suddenly he was up there as like the striker pressing. And you're like, you're the right back in a nine-man team. <laughs> you need to get back, really. But I thought he was incredible. Um, and I just think he's a massive pointer to what Postacoglu can do with players. The transformation to him is amazing. Um, yeah, who impressed you in that that second half, especially Lee? Um, yeah, Poro there. I think one time um, in the second half, I'm watching it, I'm like, "Oh, who was that?" I'm like, "Oh, it was Poro." And then another, uh, "Oh, who was? Oh, it was Poro again." Um, just it just seemed to be everywhere. Um, Dyer for me, um, I felt uh, so so pleased for Eric Dyer last night. Um, as as you say, I've. I've always been a big fan of Eric Dyer and I've always had people on at me because I've always supported Eric Dyer and I've, I've <coughs> always got behind him like essentially even through don't, don't some of the bad times. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel Levy. Here we go again. Um, no, Eric Dyer had a, an awful season last year, didn't he? But I think a lot of the Spurs team did last season. And he was um, carrying And everyone it. was expecting him to leave. 
which was never fully taken yeah, into account. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the thing that got me last night was that he, he's, he's quite happy playing the passes. He will he, play those triangles at the back like Ange yeah. Bossacoglu wants. Um, he wasn't, wouldn't sh wasn't shying away from that at all. Um, so he can play it. He just doesn't have the pace to, to play in, in the high defence that, that Ange wants. But he's, he's shown that he's more than capable last night, but he's going to have to do it for the next few games as well, isn't he? Um, he he's going to be in that back line now for at least three games. Um, that, unless he goes so. to Philip San Romero. Well, yeah. So, yeah, we, we, we're going to see what Dyer's like um, in an Ange Postacoglu team. And, yeah, I, I really hope that he puts in more of those displays that he did last night, really, because um, it'll, be, it'll be a nice comeback story. Yeah, I'm it? sure people will say, look, but they still scored four goals. And I get that. And there was a few at the end. I saw some people saying, I'd over, I think I gave Eric Dyer an eight in my player ratings. And someone was saying, oh, yeah, but he was still at fault for the late goals. It's like, I really don't think for those last two goals we can kind of really hold too many people can responsible. You, can you say he's at fault when he's playing a system that he's not used to that Ange Postacoglu wants well, him to exactly. play, essentially? And I'm not yeah, I thought that was a bit harsh. Um, I think I don't know whether that's just that little bit of unconscious bias there from previous kind of gripes with Eric Dyer. I, I thought that was very harsh, but uh, no, good for him. What were they... Was it 94th and 97th minute yes. goals as well? Yes. And, um, and yeah, like I said, he got 78 minutes in his legs. I mean, I'm sure he will be aching like mad today, but they've got to roll him out again on Saturday. Um, and this is why I think the Phillips kind of choice maybe makes the most sense because he needs some pace alongside him. Um, and I think he provides that. Although, as I said in my talking points earlier, I really like Alfie Dorrington. I don't think he'll go for him because I think he... You know, Ashley Phillips has got that little bit of experience that he doesn't with the eight games in the championship. But Alfie Dorrington's got all of that as well. And he's and he's kind of stride out with the ball like Van der Ven and uh, Romero. But that would be a big shout to pluck someone straight out of the academy to do that, I think. I can see him maybe being involved in the matchday squad because you need yeah. centre-back. I mean, last night, just looking at the bench before the game, there was only two defensive options on there. And you're thinking, well you can probably get away with it, but then you just couldn't last night because of the chaos, what happened in the first 45 minutes. But yeah, I mean, in terms of those maybe saying Dyer maybe was at fault for the last, I think what you should be looking at it, the second half as a whole is just how well the defenders uh, defended as a unit because I know it finished 4-1. It could have been 4-1 after... 50, 60 minutes, given the amount of times Chelsea had gone through. But, you know, the Spurs was so, so good defensively. And I think we need to praise Guglielmo Vicario as well, just the amount of times he was rushing out of his goal because there were a couple of occasions when he started running out of his goal and I think he might have been Sterling or Jackson going through and you're thinking, he's not going to make this one. He's going to catch him and he's going to be sent off. But every time he was out of his goal, he... You know, he uh, managed to win the ball and he wasn't happy with those goals that conceded in the final few minutes. And we've, uh, seen, we've seen it a number of times. It happens, you know, when a team's got a couple of men less and I think it's just a case of one to get that one to go ahead, then a couple more will follow. But I think looking at the fourth one, there was Hoiberg who just rushed out of the defensive line. That opened up a big gap. Chelsea played it through and they ran through and... 
Jackson netted and Vicario literally straight out of his goal to about 25, 30 yards out, having a real pop uh, at someone. They weren't happy with that at all. But Basuma. He had a big go at Basuma for not tracking back. Yeah. I mean, if it weren't for him, that could have been about six or seven. He was superb. Yeah. Vicario was honestly... I know Jackson got a hat-trick, which for me was probably one of the most... <laughs> um, how do I put it? Um <sighs> Not the greatest. It's like of all the hat-tricks I've seen in my life, it was probably one of those that he, I'm sure he'll remember fondly, but I don't think anyone else will remember particularly fondly, um, other than some Chelsea fans, I'm sure. But I thought Vicario for me was man of the match by a mile. He was so good in everything, in his footwork, in his rushing out, in his handling. I mean, he saves one with his face. He had to have so much treatment, honestly. <laughs> he just threw his face in the way. Um, I like, hit him square in the kind of nose. Um, and he also did a terrific um, interview with Spurs play afterwards where he is so expressive but forgot that the microphone was, his, was in his hand. So he was doing the interview like this. And it's like, whoa, that microphone is doing some proper heavy lifting trying to pick up your voice. But he was uh, – and he's such a character, you know. Very lucky to interview him out on the tour. And he is – it's no kind of shock that he's become a very popular member of that Spurs squad very quickly. Um, he's a real, you know, we talk about Romero and what we want him to be. I think Vicaro is becoming a leader in the back line. Um, and he's kind of ticking all the boxes that we needed for a Larice replacement. And Touchwood at the moment, he's doing it better than certainly Larice has in recent years. Um, he's, yeah. Terrific player, and like you say, there's so many moments where maybe if it was Lloris, you'd worry that he was about to catch the player, and I don't kind of have that same fear with Vicario at this moment. I'm sure he'll go through an iffy spell, as all goalkeepers do, but right now, he's settled in so quickly, um, and like I say, the early save from Jackson as well, there was a few, and he got Mudrick really left his yeah. boot on him as well at one point. Um, he went through the wars for Spurs and he kind of came out the other side. And I love the fact that they've repurposed the Antonio chant for him. It's like, Conte no, no longer exists now. We're going to give it to Vicario. Um, and you could see he was taken aback by that applause like after the third goal. And that, for me, the final whistle, I think, was kind of not expected, but wasn't that... Um, how do I put it? it? It was kind of fitting with what the team had done. For me, it was after the third goal that Chelsea scored when immediately the, the crowd all rose to applaud the Spurs players as if to say, don't worry. We, we get we get it. We see what you've done. We appreciate you. Don't, don't let that worry you. And I thought that was an incredible moment for a crowd that, like I say, it had become so toxic last season. That was huge. And Vicario definitely kind of that resonated with him. You could see that in his post-match interview. And didn't um, Kudusescu refer to that as well, didn't he, Gesty? Uh, I think so, yeah. He was just basically hailing Vicario as unbelievable. I think he said, like, Eric Dye was amazing. Yeah, uh, I mean, that moment well. with the fans. Oh, yes, yeah, uh, he did. I can't remember the exact quote. But larger than life or something? Some moments are some, larger than life. Basically, some things are bigger than life and oh, some things are bigger than football and whatever. I can't remember. It's on the Football London website, I think. <laughs> it moved him anyway. Yeah, yeah, it certainly <laughs> touched him, definitely. Uh, just going back to Vicario, I was saying to you in the press spot last night, I'd have given him a 10. 
if it weren't for those like last two goals. He was on a 10. Yeah. Yeah, full disclosure to everyone because I've had a couple of people say that. He was on a 10 and at the last second, I knocked him down to a nine with the thinking, can you give a goalkeeper that's conceded four goals a 10? And that was my only thinking. And I think in hindsight, like since I've looked back and thought, he couldn't really have done much about those goals. Maybe the fourth one, Jackson walked around him a little bit, but it's still, yeah, I think if anyone deserves a 10. You can see the, I was going to say the camera from behind him though, you can see because I think it's Mudrick, he's just very aware yeah. that Mudrick's there and Jackson doesn't want to just give it to Mudrick. So he's just, he goes that way and then Jackson kind of falls yeah. over himself. Um, and it, it looks worse than it is because he kind of sits Vicario down on his backside and then just kind of passes it um, past him. Um but yeah, I was. I just wanted to bring up that the moment you've mentioned there, Ali, about the um, the Mudrick leaving leaving his foot in, very canny, very canny from Vicario in that moment because he slowed his run down. It was kind of like, well, if you want to catch me, you might go down to ten men here. We might might have a bit more of a chance. Um, and you you see the replay afterwards. It's just Mudrick's just going through. He doesn't leave his studs up or anything. Um, it's just him trying to win the ball essentially. Yeah. So, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting moment from Vicario. It did slow his run down. To think, well, I'm still going to get there before you, and then you might leave a boot in, um, and we might we might even not even the players up, but um, get a bit bit of an advantage. Yeah. Right, still a couple more things to talk about regarding the game and Saturday's uh, fixture at Wolves. But before then, Lee, you've got a few words to say. Yes, um, from Spurs, and um, as we saw last night, it doesn't get any more exciting um, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium this season. Uh, and the best way to soak up all the atmosphere is inside premium hospitality. Guaranteed seats to all home matches. You can indulge in unforgettable dining experiences at Spurs' world-class stadium and enjoy exclusive member-only events outside match day two. Premium at Tottenham Hotspur is unmatched. Visit tottenhamhotspur.com forward slash premium to find out more. Right, there's one person I don't even think we've really mentioned so far uh, who was a pivotal figure going into the, the game last night, and that's Maurizio Pochettino on his uh, return to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. A lot of question marks going into the game, whether he'd be, you know, applauded by the Tottenham fans for the job he'd done in these five and a half years in North London, or whether there'd be, you know, a smattering of booze given he's now in charge of one of the club's fiercest rivals. And it was a bit of a, a weird homecoming for him when he stepped out of the tunnel because the Premier League anthem was played at full blast and you couldn't even hear any applause or possible booze. And just went straight to Ange Postacoglu, uh, big bear hug, and and they must have spoke for a good 30 seconds or so, uh, really having a bit of a moment before they went the separate ways. And, you know, Pochettino did come out on top after all. He won 4-1, but in terms of a homecoming, it just seemed a bit rather strange. It was weird. Yeah. It was. It was... We said this, didn't we? Kind of after the kickoff, it was like there was no real moment for Pochettino to have his moment. It was like, and I'm sure there were Spurs fans that wanted to kind of have their say either way, whether that would be. I love the fact you said smattering of booze. For some reason, that just made me think it was like alcohol lined up along the side of <laughs> a smattering of booze. Um, yeah, no one really was able to kind of have any communication uh, of any kind to, to express their thoughts. It was very, very strange. And even the uh, Postacoglu moment with Pochettino, that was it. Was very tender, <laughs> if I can use that expression. <laughs> he like put his hands, on, had their hands yeah. on each other's faces. It was, didn't they? And, and that's the thing. I kind of, 
I can understand that from Pochettino because that's kind of how he is with people. He's, he's that kind of guy. With Postacoglu, I was like, oh, okay. I've, we've never seen you like this. A man who struggles with small talk. You know, this is quite a, quite a loving embrace. Um, and yeah, it's two guys, with, I guess, with a similar philosophy of the game and how it should be played um, and a mutual respect for each other. They both said like really kind of praiseworthy stuff about each other um, ahead of the game. But yeah, it was it was all billed as... Pochettino's return and ultimately he didn't really kind of get to experience it in that way um he was very much after the game I could see him saying goodbye to a lot of the star or, or not a goodbye but hello I guess to the staff or maybe the the delayed goodbye he never got to say um and I think he had a hug with Ryan Mason didn't he afterwards as well I saw him on the pitch with Sonny having a hug um there were a few of them that he was um kind of saying goodbye to and then in the press room afterwards, um, yeah, he was uh, well, essentially just said hello to me. <laughs> I, was like, I, was trying to, I was about to say, oh, he said it to everyone. But to be honest, it, there wasn't kind of many of the regulars that he wouldn't have seen for the last four years. So there's a few journos that would have covered him at Chelsea now. So he would have seen them still now week in, week out. So I was probably the only one he hadn't seen for a while. And he was, he was very pleasant, very nice. There was one of those awkward ones, though. It was a bit like... Oh, Spurs have just kind of lost it. <laughs> I can't really be over the topic like, oh, hi, nice to see you again. Um, <laughs> so it was just, yeah, it was all very pleasant. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it wasn't, I think you used the words anticlimactic, wasn't it, really? It wasn't what we all expected from this return of the Argentine. It was, I think the game was just so weird. It just consumed everything in its wake. Very strange. Yep, it definitely did. Right then, uh, heading into Saturday's game at Wolves, we've already had a bit of talk about this, but who starts in defence for Spurs? Because three of the usual back four are going to be out. Who comes in to replace them then? Eric Dyer, I think, certain starter. All right, we'll go... Lee, do you want to say who you who yeah, on, you put who in your back on and Ali can speak? Yeah, do you know what? Because this is um, we've we've spoken on this pod obviously about the the players in in the squad and like if Madison's not around, Benton Cook can come in or Celso can come in. Um, Hoybier can quite easily slot into into the midfield. Brennan Johnson's coming to the party um, up front, and we're obviously going to speak about Richarlison being on the sidelines as well. So there's, there's there's changes that can be made. Um, in the midfield and up front and you don't think it's going to affect the team too much it's at the back that is the real issue um, with, with Romero and Van der Ven being out obviously um, I, I I think it's got to be Dyer and, and Phillips um, I know Ali's probably going to be putting Alfie Dorrington forward um, as as he's already mentioned in the pod but th- there's it's slim pickings really isn't it um, in, in terms of what you do you, we've, we've mentioned that you Given what happened last night, you could put Hoybier there, but do you want to play Hoybier in central defence for an entire game? Probably not. Um, you could put Emerson Royale in there. Do you want to play him in central defence for an entire game? Probably not. Um, is Ben Davis going to be available? And do you want to play Ben Davis alongside Eric Dyer in, in an Ange Postacoglu system? Probably not. Um, so it's, it's looking like it's going to be Ashley Phillips with a bit of pace alongside the experience um, of Eric Dyer. Um, that's... There's not many other options, um, although Ali's going to put one forward right now. <laughs> well, I'm kind of making it sound like I'm saying Alfie Dorrington must start. No, all I'm saying is that I think he's done enough to kind of 
come into the conversation, maybe more so, like Gessie said, to be involved in the squad and be on the bench. I'm intrigued to see now because obviously they're playing tonight at Cambridge, the under-21s. Um, I'm intrigued to see exactly who lines up on that bench, who plays. Um, you know, do do you pull out Phillips? Do you pull out Valise because he may well be on the bench now? Uh, do you even say to Dorrington, well, maybe we can't risk you in case we get another knock, let's say, in training or something? Um, what I would say, I think Phillips uh, probably does edge it because of that experience. You know, he came into the Blackburn side last season on eight occasions. I think it was seven, six or seven starts in a similar situation, and he really did well. Um, didn't keep his place, I think, once the senior players had come back. But I do get the impression with Postacoglu, he won't be scared of throwing in a young player from the start. And what I think the importance maybe of having Phillips, other than the fact that it, he's got the pace, is he allows Spurs to play the Postacoglu system. Um, it's a big ask of an 18-year-old. Of course it is. It's massive throwing him into a Premier League game at a tough stadium in, against a very tough team. He's going to get... And, and also alongside a defender who himself has only now played once in the Postacoglu uh, system in a competitive game so it's very much a ramshackle kind of defence put together but I think if you can get the right pieces into the puzzle then at least it allows the rest of the team to function properly and I mean in training they will have been working and working away um, on the way that the system has to work so I think it's also helpful for the midfielders not to have changes behind them that mean that their roles also have to alter and whether they have to chase back and track back because if you've got two slower centre-backs, there's so many kind of elements to it that you can kind of factor in. Um, so, yeah, I probably would go with Phillips, but I'd like to see Dorrington um, on that bench and, and included a lot in training this week just to see what he can bring because only on my experiences of seeing the two of them alongside each other for the uh, under-21s, it's been Dorrington that's probably caught my eye more than Phillips. Um, he's probably got a little bit more to his game in terms of his ability on the ball and to bring it out of defence. Um, but they're both, you know, they both got a quality to be excellent young centre backs. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens. And I think Emerson, yeah, will have to plan left. And I think even if Davies is fit, is he going to be in a situation where he's able to start the game anyway? I mean, we saw what happened. Um, where was it against Palace? Palace, was it? Palace he, away. Yeah, yeah, he only lasted the half. So, yeah, yeah. lots of decisions. Are you going to Cambridge tonight, Alex? I'm not. No, no. After the late night uh, last night. Um, yeah, yeah. No, not tonight. I might I might uh, catch a glimpse on Spurs play, hopefully, and watch watch it. Uh, watch the whole game. That sounds like an ad for Spurs play. It wasn't. It was just, I think that's the only way to watch it if you're not there. I'd, I think I agree with you. I'd go with... Phillips. I don't think Postacoglu would have any qualms about starting him. Obviously, he's yeah. signed him for a reason. Clearly impressed him in training at Hotspur, where he's been on the bench, I think, three times in the Premier League this season. I wouldn't be against Emerson starting at centre-back if he didn't have, uh, if he didn't want to start Phillips, but I think you've just got to go with a natural centre-back and you know keep that system in place so they can carry on playing yeah, the football and Plays on the left as well if Emerson's not there. If Emerson's centre back, then Ben Davis has to be left back. Uh, <laughs> or even if he's like not fit, you're just going to put him there. Who, 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 else, who else you put there then? <laughs> it's, well, it's that's, it, that's what I mean. I don't think yeah. <laughs> I think Emerson has to play there. Yeah, probably. 
even if Davis is fit and in a position to start, I'd probably still go with Emerson at left back. So I think he deserves a go. Uh, I think with Phillips, it's it's one of these uh, one man's losses, another man's gain, isn't it? And it happened with Rashford at Manchester United. Injuries up front, uh, Louis van Gaal having to go into the academy to bring in uh, a striker and he took his opportunity with both hands. And if Phillips comes into the team on Saturday, uh, hopefully that is the case. So he can take that opportunity and show why he was brought to the club. I just wonder where, if Hoybeg will start, if, if he's obviously not going to be playing at centre-back again, because you think Saar, Basuma are certain you know, starters in that midfield. And then, as we're saying, you'd probably say Lo Celso, even though you could probably make an argument for Bentenker starting. And I mean, that's going to be so harsh on Hoiberg after that show and if he's back on the bench. It's a quick turnaround, so maybe. What do you reckon, Lee? Do you think he mixes up the midfield a bit? I'm just wondering, um, did... did um... Did Basuma not get booked last no, night? He didn't, did he? No, he didn't. He's still available. He's he waiting didn't. to miss the Man City game. So he is still available. <laughs> Great, yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know. It's it's hard, isn't it? Because Hoybier has been brilliant every time he's come into the team this season so far. Um, but do you do you change up what you've already got in there in Sar and Basuma? I'd, I'd be reluctant to. Uh, I think they've, I think they've been brilliant when they started, um, and I don't thing. think they deserve to be. Played the full up, thing really. and the nine men. Yeah, Sar came off reasonably early, didn't he? I guess. Yeah, you don't want to change things too much, yeah, though, do you? Because there's going to be multiple changes at the back. So I'd just do the one change in midfield if Madison's not in a position to start. Yeah, if you're changing both the, the back two and the left back, and then you Madison's not available, so you're changing one of the three, um, and then if you change another one in the midfield, it's just, it's just a bit much, isn't yeah, it? Really, it is. It is. Are you taking your boots as well to Molyneux on Saturday, just in case, Ali? <laughs> well, it's not really a position I play. I'm more of a striker. I don't think I could really do a job in that midfield. It's, you, you play uh, where Ramsch tells you. Well, yeah, but it requires far more energy and output than I'd be able to deliver. Whereas if you just want me to stand up front for a bit, um, I can probably do that. Uh, as well, heading into the game at Molyneux, question marks over Richarlison now. It's just one of these, you know, when it rains, it pours. Oh, so I might get a chance. Mm, maybe not, maybe not. <laughs> I thought we were getting through a podcast without talking about Richarlison, and here it is, he right at the end. Here comes Gusty. We can't. <laughs> They were podcasting, just totally missed this bit out because he's been speaking to the Brazilian media after the game to ESPN Brazil. I didn't realise until this morning they'd actually missed out on the Brazil squad for their upcoming uh, World Cup qualifiers against Colombia and Argentina. I know he's not had maybe, you know, the best run of form, but you'd still think it'd be in the squad at least. Uh, yeah. I looked. I got. I saw the quotes from the coach. He just doesn't think he's played well enough. As other, he thinks others deserve a little bit of a chance. Yeah, and Richarlison mentioned he's been suffering a bit over the past eight months or so with an injury. He's saying he's gone to undergo surgery on his pelvis at some point. He just needs to decide. He said he's had a discussion with the doctor. So, question marks, uh, will he be in the squad? If he's going to have this surgery, do you just have it after Wolves? Or do you delay it even more? What do you do? 
Yeah, I think it's one of these where we kind of see it. it it's a really difficult one because I think if you take it in the moment that it was in, so it was on the day that he'd found out he's not in the Brazil squad, he was left out of the Spurs squad, uh, sorry, Spurs team, uh, from what it seems to be from the write-up from ESPN Brazil, he was quite emotional in the interview. Um, maybe similar to um, did another post-match one, didn't he? Not not the one where he spoke, um, you know, really bravely about his mental health. It, stuff. it, it was will more, have been about twelve months ago, pre pre World Cup after the Everton game, where he oh, it was the injury, wasn't it? He got was it hamstring injury or something like that, yeah. and he I didn't fear that was his World Cup dream over. Yeah, yeah I think and, he, was and he was back a little bit sooner than he expected, wasn't he? So whether, I don't know, whether this is one of these where perhaps he's, it's all come at once and he's kind of thought, oh, I've got this problem, I really need to get it fixed now. This is what it is, this is the reason. Um, and maybe it's heightened it slightly for him, perhaps. So it may be that after a couple of days, they talk to him and say, oh, you know, it's probably not one of these things that desperately needs to be done right now. It's just a little kind of issue you're going to have to sort out because that is, again, you know, then you're shortening your options up front. And I guess you then have to rely on, I suppose, Brian Hills there. Valise then comes in. And then then again, we're looking to the academy again. And you've got someone like probably Jamie Donnelly then has to step up as well. Um, but it could, it depends what it is. It's a bit like, it's a really awkward area, isn't it? Because obviously um, Oliver Skip had this problem, a different kind of, uh, problem I think but around the same area and his thing dragged on and dragged on and dragged on until they did a the op on him and he was it kind of sorted it really quickly so it may be that maybe they learn from that and feel that this is something that needs quick sorting but yeah I think it was a bit unexpectedly came out suddenly last night in this emotional interview which has probably caught a few people on the hop at Spurs as well I'd be intrigued to know just how aware Postacoglu was as well of it um, well, I think we'll find that out on the on Friday at the press conference. Um, yeah, I don't. It's a difficult one. I mean, if, if Richardson feels that it's really hampering his performances, and he we're not seeing the best version of him, then fair enough. But the knock-on effect also is that if he heads out, he really allows Brennan Johnson to cement his place in the team and not him. So, yeah, difficult one for him. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the comments already on YouTube of, oh, that's why he's not playing well. <laughs> that's what guests will be saying now. There's, a, there's an excuse. No, he's actually been all right. I mean, you've put a piece in one of your articles the other day. I didn't even realise he well, was the amount of assists and goals in his performances is, is quite good recently, isn't it? One goal, three assists in his last six Tottenham appearances. So, you know, if performances on the pitch might not have been great, but he still managed to contribute at times. Yeah, absolutely. I've just seen a list of the players um, out and injured on that left, mainly down the left-hand side as well. It's incredible. Perisic, Solomon, Sessegnon, Davies, Richarlison, obviously now, Udogi suspended, uh, Madison down the left, currently being assessed, Van der Ven injured. What the world is happening down the left-hand side of that pitch for Spurs? I didn't even thought about that. So basically, don't play down the left at Molyneux. And you'll be all right. Yeah. That's yeah. it. That's it. Just, just steer clear on the right and don't launch into wild challenges and you're fine. Yeah. Right. I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Tot Tottenham. There was so much to discuss after 
that defeat against Chelsea and then we'll be back next week and you know fingers crossed we'll be talking about Tottenham you know getting back on track and securing three points at Molyneux so as ever just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news Grab our huge discount off your NordVPN plan. Go to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest. You can receive an extra four months for free. And there's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the episode description box. Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's football is here to stay, and so are we.